Father, we just come to you this morning. The entrance of your word brings light. And your word is more than light. It is life. It's more than knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Your word is life itself. And it's just not life. It is spirit. For God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. And you said to your disciples, my word is spirit and life to those who receive it. Father, as we begin the ministry of the word, Spirit of God, I pray you would come and touch all of us. That your word would become spirit and life to us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. To receive your word, Lord. Let the anointing flow. From heaven itself. Not to just the people who are sitting here. But all around the world who are listening online. For the anointing doesn't need anything. It can flow wherever the Spirit takes it. It is not constrained or restrained by anything other than by unbelief. So therefore I pray faith will arise in your house today. and Your children will believe even as they hear. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. I know you're busy, those who are working. And those who are not are busy doing nothing. But I hope you listen to the word of God, especially the weekdays we give you. I know you do not have time to sit and study the word of God like Pastor Vijay and I do. We do not expect you to be have that time. But we do the studying for you. Okay? We do the studying for you. And therefore, when we teach you through the week, just an hour, 15 minutes or so. And I think in a day you can spare that one hour, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Either early in the morning or late in the night. If you can, I believe you would be blessed. This morning we go to Mark chapter 8 and verses 22 to 26. Five verses. Then he came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Okay, we are looking at some of the miracles of Jesus. If you look at the Sundays I've been preaching, we've been looking at from the gospel according to Mark. Not that we will restrain ourselves to the gospel according to Mark, but don't forget, we are called to stretch. We are called to stretch. Sometimes, Unless God stretches, we won't see stuff which is there in the Bible. Okay? I'm not boasting. This portion, I checked almost all the grades. Okay? 
all the greats. No, I, I, I read the big ones, the big names, the great ones, because I believe they have, have had revelation which others did not receive. Because simply because of their dedication to the work and to the word of God. But I'll, sometimes I see that even they miss things which we are able to see. And I do not know why. Is it because God was not unlocking it? Are revelations time bound? I do not know. I know certain revelations are time bound. But let's look at these five verses and try to see how God is stretching us. Especially for people around the world. The ones who are suffering because of their faith. No time in history of the church, 2000 history, are more people being persecuted for their faith than today. We think the first century was bad. No, this century is worse than all the other centuries put together. They say, this is an average estimate at any point of time today, there are 200 million Christians who are being persecuted simply for being Christian. More people die for their faith today than any time in history. Okay? And if they are willing to die, we need to ask ourselves, I'm at least willing to live for Christ. They are willing to die. We are not being persecuted that way. Am I willing to live for Christ? So we look at these miracles and we say, Lord, stretch my faith. Stretch my understanding. Stretch my vision, Lord, so that I, I get to see who you are. No, otherwise we just get buried in our problems and not able to see beyond our problems. Yes, that's why I make you laugh. If you think I don't have problems taking charge of a church and the churches around the world, every day what I get is only trouble from around the world from our churches. And I have to stand there without blinking, without stressing out and trust God and to manage things from all around and give them consistently stand there. Don't falter. Don't falter. Don't falter. Don't falter. Okay, so we need to look because that's what faith does. And Jude in Jude 20 will say, grow in faith and in the Holy Spirit. Strengthen yourself. So every word of God will give us his life. And his life is strong, undefeatable, immovable, steadfast. That's the reason I said we have come not just for wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all that God gives. And more than light, we have come for life. Whose life? His life. So they came to Bethsaida. Okay, that's how it begins. Then he came to Bethsaida. It's a privileged city. John 1 and verse 44. Through our eyes, Christian eyes. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Three apostles from one city. It's no ordinary city. It's a privileged city. I don't know which city can you call from Israel which had three apostles. Maybe there might be others. I don't know. I didn't check. But at least we know one now. Philip, Peter, Andrew. Three apostles from one city. That is Bethsaida. Privileged city. Luke 10, verse 13. Not only privileged. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Cursed city. You can be privileged and also be cursed. You are privileged because out of you I called three to follow me. 
who will sit on the thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. Out of you I call three. In you I did mighty works. But if this had been done in Gentile cities like Tyre, Sidon or Hyderabad, God says, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloths and ashes. So please remember, it's not enough to be privileged. See that we have made use of the privilege. Privilege. And valued the things of God. Otherwise we would be part of the cursed. You heard all this. You saw all this. But where are you? If this was done in other places, this was taught in other churches, maybe they would have stood up and done great things for God. So be very careful. A privileged city also became a cursed city. And this miracle which we are looking at of a blind man is recorded only in the gospel according to Mark. Only in the gospel according to Mark. Okay, It is not recorded anywhere else. It's not there in Matthew or Luke or John. And it's only recorded. So it stands out on its own. It's a very special miracle. When we study through, you will get it why it is so special. This miracle is special. So just don't look at the healing alone. I know we are so interested with healing, signs and wonders. We should be. Because that's who our God is. The God of sign and wonder. But behind the sign and the wonder, there is a message and a revelation. If you miss it, you have lost it. You could be healed of the most deadly disease by an act of God and still end up in hell because you missed the message. Okay, Don't miss the message. So verse 22 says, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They, we don't know who they are. They. And why are you all here? Because somebody called they brought you here one day. And then you decided to continue. Okay, somebody called they brought me to the Lord, came to my room at 11 in the night when I was a teenager, knocked on the door, came in. Shared the gospel. And that's one name I never forget. Vergis Niner. The man who introduced me to the Lord. Okay. So somebody called they. And you know what? I was blind. Not physically. Absolutely, totally, spiritually blind. And he brought me to Jesus. Okay. Not that he opened my eyes. Nobody can open your eyes except Jesus. No preacher. No prophet. No apostle. Nobody can open your eyes. Only God can. They may be the channels, but it is God who opens. And it is good we should bring people to Christ. Because the world is full of blind men who can't see the kingdom of God. Of deaf men who cannot hear the voice of God. Dumb men who cannot speak the words of faith. Lame men who cannot walk by faith. You know, all kinds of people. And they should be brought to Jesus because he is the only one who can heal them. So the question is, a question to believers, the children of God sitting here today. Have you taken anybody lately to Jesus? It's two months and seven days. 29 plus 7 is, not 29, 59 plus 7 is, Am I right? My math is 59 plus 7 is 66 days are over. Did you, did you share the word to one person? 
it's not whether they will believe or you cannot convince anybody it's holy spirit who convinces our job is to pass the message anybody think about it these few unnamed people brought a blind man to jesus question is okay you did not bring anybody to jesus did you go to jesus because blind means i do not know where i am going that's what it means blind means i need to be led i need to be taken i don't know where i am going in second corinthians 5 and verse 7 the bible says for we walk by faith and not by sight and if i am not walking by faith i am blind i am blind if i'm walking by sight walking by sight what i see what i understand with my rational facilities of the faculties which god has given me and i'm making decisions just like the world is making though i claim to be a child of god then i am blind then i am blind i cannot walk i cannot walk i need to be taken to jesus somebody needs to take somebody at least in prayer needs to carry me to jesus because you know what the blind cannot go they need to be led what do we end up as a community of blind men and the blind cannot lead the blind only those who walk by faith can lead those who walk by sight to the lord so walk by faith now this is for those who are students of scripture and for all the pastors who are listening around the world because it's not sunday for them yet or uh, different days they gather depending upon which country middle east of course it is friday so they look forward to sunday because they can listen um we record in the bible in scripture okay though it is written by men four different men you have matthew luke mark and john but were inspired or moved by the holy spirit so the order is not according to man's order it is according to this order of the holy spirit so when the holy spirit puts certain orders over there there are powerful lessons that are embedded there hidden over there for those who are looking to grow in the lord who those who want to stretch their faith who those who want to grow in the lord and say lord here i am i want to grow in you so don't read in man's order read in the order the holy spirit has written scripture just don't be a casual reader yes casually read the bible one way like a story book then go back and go back and start asking the spirit of god lord teach me teach me don't use concordances they are good don't use bible commentaries they are good use it after you have asked the spirit of god he is the leader he is the teacher you need to realize wherever you are sitting and studying the word of god you got a teacher readily available and it's a most unused teacher the spirit of god though we know god says when the spirit comes he shall teach you all things and he's come he's with us question is whether we ask let me show you first corinthians chapter 2 9 and 10 if i can have it in niv i would love it because it's a little more simpler to understand i'm not saying the translation is perfect 9 and 10 9 to 10 and then 13 and 14 first corinthians 2 9 and 10 then 13 and 14 however as it is written 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me ask you this question. If you take it literally, and it can be taken literally, it doesn't matter who it is, which man of God it is, in the past or present. No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what is hidden in the pages of the Bible, unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. And everything that was written in the Old Covenant, by those prophets, they did not understand. It is revealed to us by the Spirit. That's what Peter says. They spoke as the Spirit of Christ in them spoke, but they did not understand. And there are today godly, God-fearing Jews. You ask them what does Isaiah 53 means. They don't know. No rabbi can interpret Isaiah 53. You know why? It's hidden. What does the Bible say? But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And that's why the spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. And everybody has it. If you're born again, you have the spirit. And if you ask him, he will teach you. He will teach you. Verses 13 and 14. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So be careful when you sit in the house of God, especially when I'm teaching. If you sit there and nod and sleep and get distracted and yawn, either you are a baby in Christ or you do not have the spirit of God. Because you are not understanding what is being taught. Can be a baby. You tell me, I'll send you to Sunday school. And it's not a shame. You should be saved. I don't understand. Can I go to Sunday school to my level so that I understand what is being? It's perfectly fine. You don't have to be ashamed of these things. Right? If you don't understand math, you will stand up and say, I don't understand. Right? English, yes. Everybody, why does everybody think you are scholars in the Bible? When you are not. If you don't understand, you must say, I don't understand. Can I go to Sunday school? Instead of sitting here and wasting time. Because in Sunday school, because there are only five or six people, you definitely will not sleep. Okay. Don't pretend to know. Because this is eternal. Even if you fail in math, it is still okay. Even if you fail in English, it's still okay. You fail in all your subjects, it's still okay. You fail in this, you will go to hell. That's how important it is. He didn't say this is knowledge. He said this is life. This is life. This is the very life of God put between pages, revealed by the Holy Spirit. Two Saturdays back, I preached. The first thing about faith is value. We don't value. You know what we value? We value everything except faith. And one thing God values is faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. If you don't mix faith with everything else, it doesn't matter how great it is, how good it is. It is unacceptable to God. That is the necessary ingredient, like salt in a dish. It can be the best dish, the best cook, and served in the best plate, and arranged so decorately on the best tablecloth. There is no salt. Your guest will frown. That's faith. You don't bring faith. You don't please God. And if you value faith, you will value the word of God. You will value the hearing of the word of God which comes from the Holy Spirit. That's 
that's why we have to be very serious about these things people panic who oh, covid 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 everybody panics cancer people panic nobody panics about this this is what should panic you <laughs> or i am not hearing i am not hearing lord i am not growing i am not walking by faith that should cause panic that should cause panic and you will do an automatic quarantine if you panic you shut yourself and say if your company say i am taking leave for 3 days please what happened i am not well at all tell the truth not physically spiritually not well at all i need to spend time with the royal physician i need to get well with my soul when i come out i will tell you it is all well with my soul it is well with my soul it's well with my soul that's the key so there is can be the best man the most religious man the greatest scholar but the bible is spiritual in john chapter 3 and verse 3 one of the best scripturally educated person in his time jesus answered and said to him most assuredly i say to you unless is born again he cannot he cannot what was he telling nicodemus you are blind you are blind but nicodemus went back blind his eyes were not opened he came in the night john 7 verse 50 will say nicodemus who came in the night who he who came by night you know why he came in the night you know why because to a blind man it does not matter whether it is day or night it is always night a man who could spiritually see would have come during daytime a man who is spiritually blind comes during night because he is blind anyway so don't let go of the holy spirit every time we preach we study we read whatever you do even when you witness to somebody ask holy spirit help me to speak and help them to hear don't let go without the holy spirit there is nothing that is going to happen in our life connected with god god will refuse to do it without his spirit so he's there okay so when you read scripture ask the holy spirit what is happening they brought somebody blind that is from verse 22 onwards let us look what is happening over here the context mark chapter 8 14 to 21 now the disciples had forgotten to take bread this is after the feeding of the 4000 and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat then he charged them saying take heed beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod and the reason among themselves saying it is because we have no bread and jesus being aware of it said to them why do you reason because you have no bread do you not yet perceive or understand is your heart still hardened having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for 5000 how many baskets full of fragments did you take up they said to him 12 and also when i broke seven for 4000 how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up they said seven and he said to them how is it that you do not understand he's saying you're not seeing you're not hearing you're not understanding and then they went to bethsaida and a blind man was brought to him this is a lesson for them this is a lesson for our teacher our god is an incredible teacher he does theory and he does practical theory 
and practical. Theory and practical. This is a lesson for them. That's why this stands out on it. So this order in Mark is not found in Matthew, John or Luke because this is divinely put there by the Holy Spirit to teach those who are interested in God. That is why the Bible talks about a jewel. It's like the treasure hidden in a field. Don't be pigs in the house of God. Because God says he doesn't throw jewels before pigs. Salvation is free. After after that, everything, you will have to buy. It's not free. He says, buy from me gold refined in in the fire. Buy. And we should be willing to pay the price to know God. To know God. It will cost us. Salvation. Muft. Absolutely free. You cannot buy it. It's, it's, it's impossible. Impossible to buy it. All the wealth in this whole world, this whole universe will not buy one soul. That is the price of one soul. God prayed with, paid with his own life. But after that, we need to be willing to pay. And unless we value God, we will not be willing to pay the price. So the entire thing is to make us value God, who God is, what his kingdom is like. Where are we going one day? Where are we going one day? So this entire thing was to teach them. He says, don't you see? Don't you hear? Don't you understand? And then the Bible says, this man was brought. That is why the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, the first few years of our church, we prayed that every Sunday. Or maybe we should all pray once again. Let's pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Pray this. Mark it in your Bible. Pray this every morning. This is even one of my powerful verses that changed my life. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you. Not to preach, to know you. Who are you? What kind of a person are you? Because one day we are going to live with you forever and ever. And if the church is called the bride of Christ and you are the bridegroom, then you better know your husband. Better know your husband. Because you know what? A marriage on earth, there is still a clause until death do part. So even if you're miserable in your marriage, there is escape. I hope he will die or she will die one day and I will be free. But marriage with him is forever and ever. Ever. There's no escape from that. But thank God he's the nicest person you will ever meet. But that is only head knowledge. We need to experience his niceness, what a great person is. So verse 22. They brought him to Jesus. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Lesson number two, after bringing people to, or going ourselves to God, either of it, whichever is applicable. Second point, do not tell God how to do his work. Okay. Okay. Don't go to a judge and teach the chef how to cook. He may throw you out of the kitchen. That is why it is written above their kitchen, no entry. Don't teach me how to cook. Lot of people are telling God how to do his work. 
And they are telling Jesus how to heal. Lord begged him to touch him. Begged him to touch him. Why the principle is that sometimes we do not realize many of our prayers, daily prayers are instructions to God. Not requests. Instructions to God. And many churches which have these big, big committees, the committees gather, they instruct God. They make their entire agenda for the whole year and put a seal called Amen at the end of it and give it to God and say, pass it. They tell God what to do. We make the same mistake. Don't tell God what to do. Just go with your need. Because you do not know how he will do. Okay. 600,000 men and women came out of Israel. The first dispensation that came out of Ex- in the book of Exodus out of Egypt. Only one man ultimately understood the ways of God. Only one man. Because only he sought the ways of God. But while he was walking through that wilderness leading these people... Every time there was a crisis, he was confused. Because he did, really did not know how God was going to do. What God was going to do. And each time there was a breakthrough. And each time he had to hear. And each time it was different. Even if it is the same problem. We have no water. Okay, strike the rock. We have no water. Speak to the rock. And he had to be very careful to make out the distinction and not make a mistake. And he made a mistake and was kept in the wilderness till he died. So don't tell God what to do. Listen carefully so that we know that what God wants us to do, how our healing comes, how our deliverance comes, how our breakthrough comes. So one, go to God. Second, don't tell him what to do. Just tell him what your problem is. Point number three, verse 23. Let us look. He took the blind man by the hand. He was not listening to them, but they could say, oh, we told him to touch him. He's holding him by hand. He was not listening to them. But if you go by what they said, he held him by hand, nothing happened. So if you go by what they said, will you receive your healing? Lord, touch him. God touched him. Nothing happened. Okay, now you can go. You asked me to touch him, I touched him. You can go. Because I did what you wanted me to do, right? He didn't only touch him. He held him. He took him by hand. Notice, nothing happened. You know why? Because neither the people who brought him, nor the man who was brought had any faith. And we saw two Sundays back a woman when nobody knew. Nobody. He himself did not know. An issue of blood for 12 years. Nobody in the crowd knew. The apostles did knew. The Lord himself did not knew because he was in his humanity. But when she touched the hem of his robe, virtue flow. And Jesus commended her as his daughter. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. So in this case, we know there is no faith. The people who brought him has no faith. The man who is blind has no faith. Four weeks earlier, they broke the roof, let down a paralyzed man in front of them. Jesus looked at their faith. He says he saw their faith and said, son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. So there is no faith. Okay? So ask yourself the third question. Am I one of the persons that Jesus can just come stand by me and hold me by hand and nothing will change in my life? If Lord, you are here, 
And you are standing right beside me. And you take me by hand. And nothing will happen to me. Ask. Or will something happen to me? Because I have faith. That's why we say, there is a preparation to receive things from God. It's a preparation of faith. I don't know how many times I've sat from this pulpit and every other pulpit around the world where I have preached, I tell every church, Sunday is defined by the previous six days. If the six days that went before Sunday did not define your walk with God, Sunday will be just like the other days. And above all, Saturday will define Sunday. I'll leave it at that. Let's look at the next point, what Jesus did, verse 23. Note what Jesus did. He took the blind man by hand. And he led him out of the town. This is not the hand of healing. So you have to be very, very careful. That's what I said. You have to be very, very careful to hear from God. You have an issue. You have a problem. The solution is not the same. It is specific. And you have to hear from God. In his case, what did Jesus do? He didn't touch him and heal him. Unlike other cases. There are three cases of blind men being healed. What did he do? I'm, I'm sorry, not three. There are more than three. What does he do? He took him by hand and led him out of the town. What is this? This is a pull of separation. He separates him from the crowd. He takes him out of the village. Some people, I don't know who it is, some people who are listening maybe here somewhere else. Nothing is going to change in your life unless you are separated from the crowd you are running with. You can stand on your head and pray. Others can fast and pray. Nothing is going to change unless you separate yourself from the crowd you are running with. And it doesn't matter how long and how often you go to church. If the crowd you are running with is an unbelieving crowd, it's a crowd over which a pronouncement has been made. Cursed are you, Bethsaida. Better get away from that crowd. Allow the Spirit of God to move you out of that company. Because if you are running in the world, then you are living in Bethsaida. In Revelation, we go into the world, we serve in the world, we work in the world, but we are not of the world. Understand that difference. In Revelation 19, verses 4 and 5, this is the cry, and I believe the cry is loud in these last days, really, really loud. The 20... 19. Is it 20? One second, one second. Come out. It's 18, 18, not 19, sorry, 18. I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, that so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. That's what God is doing with this man. You think 
God is first moved by his blindness. God says, no, it doesn't matter. I can heal you in one second. But if you are not separated, you will go back into a worse kind of blindness. At least when you're physically blind, you sin less. When you're physically healed and your heart is not changed and you're not separated from the world, you will go back inside and do worse things. So let me separate you first out of that place. And that is his first step of faith. This blind man allows Jesus to lead him in the direction Jesus wants to take him. First step of faith. So this morning, I don't know who it is, how many it is, present in the body, present online, allow God to lead you in the direction he wants to take you. Yes, you came to him with a problem. Yes, we read all the prayer requests and many unspoken requests. That's with which you came. You got a burden in your heart. You're looking for something, but allow God to lead you. When he leads you, it is for our good. This is what he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus had already cursed the city. Now the blessing is withheld from the town as a whole. And he would only extend mercy to individuals who came out of the town. Who were willing to be led out. Do you know the world is already cursed? Do you know the world is already judged? That's what Jesus said. The ruler of this world has already been judged. When the ruler is judged, the whole nation is judged. This whole world has already been judged. And if you want mercy, you have to be willing to be led out of this world. That is why the book of Acts says on the day of Pentecost with many words, Peter exhorted them and says, separate yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who received his message were baptized. What did baptism mean? We have died to this world. We are rising up to a new life unto God. He led them out. But this world is cursed. We go into this world. We come out of this world. And we are very, very clear. We are not of this world. That is what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. He led out a family of five out of that city. The city was already judged. Judgment has already set. So only way they could be rescued was lead them out. But they had become so much one with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two angels, angels, one angel, one night killed 135,000 men, soldiers. But two angels were needed to drag five people out. Think about the difference. One angel could kill 135 soldiers. It took two angels to drag five people. They were so reluctant to come out. And one moment looked back and died. And Jesus has said, forever remember her. Two things he's told us to remember. One, do this in remembrance of me. Two, remember Lord's wife. So it's not a simple message. It's a dangerous message. Take heed. Take heed. We are not of the world and friendship with the world is enmity with God. Then we go to the next verse. He led him by hand. Yeah. Or let's go back. Yeah. No, 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 no. We are far. 
He no 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 no. Let's go. How come we are ahead? Yeah. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, we'll leave that aside for later. I mean, who wants to be healed that way? You are willing to come forward. I can cure of your blindness immediately. You wanna? But that's what Jesus did. He spat into his eyes. Leave that aside, okay? We'll come back. We're not leaving it. We'll come back to it. He put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. He laid his hands on him. Do you see anything? He asked him if he saw anything. That's the title of today's message. Sammy, title of today's message. Can you see anything? Do you see anything? If I'm right from my learning, understanding, reading of scripture and my memory bank, it's not as good as Pastor Vijay's, but my memory bank of the four gospels, this is the only time Jesus asked somebody whether they were healed. Never did he ask anybody, are you healed? He only said, you are healed. This is the only time. That's why I said there are certain miracles that stand aside, stand apart. Do you see anything? Do you see anything? He laid hands upon him. He spat upon him, on his eyes, laid hands upon him. Then he asked him this question. Do you see anything? Verse 24, his response. Verse 24, yeah. He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So you can be very sure he's on his knees before Jesus. And Jesus bent down and spat into his eyes and laid hands upon him. And he looked up. Because if you're standing, you look up, you only see the sky. So he's on his knees before Jesus. And what did he see? I see people like trees. This is what we call a distorted vision. Why? This is the vision of the disciples. Beware of the living of the Pharisees. Yo, we brought only one loaf of bread. Distorted vision. Never able to understand spiritual what Jesus is saying. You talk about living, they will connect it with bread and not with doctrine. Distorted vision. Half. That's why he asked. Five loaves of bread and two fish. How many did I feed? Five thousand. Seven loaves, how did I feed? Four thousand. So if I could do that, you're worried about one loaf? When are you going to see what God is able to do in your life? When are you going to forget about the material, physical, which is nothing for God, and tune your ears and eyes to see the spiritual, which is what is real? You're just like pagans, Peter, John. Philip, what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Pagans run after those things, not the children of God. The children of God run after the kingdom of God. And he says, you're not able to see the kingdom of God. That is a distorted vision. What do you see? People like trees. This is a vision of the first generation of Israel. It didn't matter what God did. They were the generation who saw the greatest work of God ever done on planet earth. The generation that came out of Egypt. And every time they had a question, can God? 
It's not that God can. It is can God. Ultimately, you know what? They tried to put God in a can. He came out and put them in a can and put them in a circle for 40 years and said, die here. You know why? You have only one question. Can God? You know why? Your vision is distorted. And are we like that? We face problems. We face problems. We pray. God answers. We pray. God answers. But every time a new problem comes, we are still tense. He took care of January. He took care of February. March has come. Ayo, to tight or not to tight? Ayo, March has 31 days. February had only 28. 28 was better than 31. Now we are doing math. Like the disciples. God says, how many months and how many years do I have to take care of you Will you before you will believe for me the next month? How many diseases should I heal before you will start not panicking when something manifests in your body? How many? That's our problem. Do you know at the end of the time, after all the miracles they experienced, you know what was their testimony? Yeah, there are giants in that land and we are grasshoppers. They saw men like trees. And themselves, not some of the mirrors you see, you know, you don't want to look in that mirror anymore, right? And we, we see in our mirror, you know, what are we like? Grasshoppers. You know, when they said we are like grasshoppers, they forgot what God had told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Tell them Israel is my firstborn. God's firstborn is a grasshopper. Did you know that? And the devil's firstborn is a giant. Did you see that? Distorted vision. That's what God is asking. But thank God at least this man could see a little. And the apostles also could see a little. He was partially healed of blindness. Now let me ask you this one question. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 5 to 8. We have looked at this in many contexts. That is if we were listening. Second Peter for this very reason, make every effort to add to math English. To, is that what is written? But that's what we take tuitions for, right? So much Zoom classes, everybody is like a zombie. The happiest set of people in the church every Sunday are the little children. Because they are out of prison and Sunday is their best today. Whole day out. Otherwise, they're sitting behind their crying. Teachers say, don't move, don't move. What are you doing? What are you doing? Poor thing, boxed in. We are adding everything to our life except the things that needed to be added. Make every effort to add to your faith. Meaning, first you have faith. You have to add to your faith. But add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to that brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. If you put faith also, there are eight things God says, keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning it has to keep on increasing. So you have to ask yourself, is my virtue increasing? Is my knowledge increasing? These are all things that God is looking for. And if you possess, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. That's the key. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. Nearsighted, short-sighted. Short-sighted. What is the problem with short-sight? You can only see things which are near. What is that? What to eat? What to drink? 
but where? Those are close, nearsighted. Nearsighted. And they have, they are blind. Are we blind? Are we blind? Are we short-sighted? Do we have eternal vision? Are we thinking about the day that before the service is over, Jesus could come and will I be in that group or not? Is the cry of my heart, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? It could be as surreal as today. I'm telling you, there's nothing left to be done for him to come. Don't go by these teachers. Because there are, every school there are different teachers who say different things. So that's why God, why did, Lord, why doesn't everybody agree on one thing? Pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture? He says so that you will be prepared. Nobody is right. I didn't tell you any of this thing. I just said watch and pray. So God says, are you seeing? Are we seeing? Are we short-sighted? Do we see men as trees? Do we see life's problems as trees? Are we making a mountain of a molehill? The greatest mountain today is called Corona 19. 21 we have reached. We are still talking about 19. One year will be etched in our mind. What is that? 19. When we were in 1999, everything was about 2000. What is Y2K or something they said and your computer is going to go, everything is going to go, whole world is going to collapse, everything will come to nothing happen. Let me, let me show you one thing I got in the morning. I hope it is still there. It's interesting. Because you, you know, you guys know maths, so you can tell me fast. Pastor Vijay is there. Each day, 4,000 people lose their lives to TB. So in a year, how much is it that? 4,000 die to TB every day. 1.6? Do you hear about TB or do you hear about Corona? More people die of TB every year than COVID-19. 400 people die every day of tuberculosis. It's also very contagious. It also comes from the mouth and the spit. Did anybody tell you to wear masks? And yet people are so afraid. I'm not saying you should not be careful. Whatever guidelines are given, keep it. But why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Why do we make a mountain of a molehill? That's the problem. We see things as giants. Things, giants. Verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. It's the only time in entire ministry recorded Jesus had to touch somebody a second time. Does that mean Jesus has no power? <laughs> He's all power. So why did he do a second time? For our sake. He could have done it without doing anything. Not touching him, not holding him, just by a word. He could have, but he didn't do it. That's why I said when you read stuff in the Bible, be very, very careful because you know what? Many of us need a second touch and a third touch and a fourth touch, maybe a fifth touch. Many touches from the Lord before we will start seeing life as we should see. See. And then you could see life for a season correctly the way it is. And then because the enemy comes after you, we start losing our vision again. 
And we need a touch from God again. It is not that you get a vision and you walk in that. No. There are only few people like that in the Bible. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine that he dared defy the armies of the living God? Who is that? David. Perfect vision. Goes, runs towards the devil, fights him, finishes him off with his sword. A little later, one thought in his head, if I go like this, Saul will one day take my head. And before you know, first he's acting like a madman with spittle all over his face. Next time he goes and bows before the king and says, I am your son. What happened to you, David? Lost your vision. Lost your vision. What does David have to do? Come back to God to receive your vision. And for that, God had to burn down everything in his life. Ziglag was completely burned down. All his strength, all his resources, everything burned down. And then he looked up and said, Lord, help me. And God said, I'm here. What should I do? Pursue, overtake and recover all. Now, instead of running from the enemy, he's running towards the enemy. He's the old David again. He got his vision back. So we need many touches from God. Many touches. Many touches. And that's what Paul prays. Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might know you, Lord. This is what life is all about. John says, this is eternal life that you might know the Father and that you might know God. At John 17, 3. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? Do we, anybody, including me, anybody sitting here really think we got to hold on eternal life? If you think you got to hold on eternal life, that means you've got to hold on God. Does anybody think? You know, then why are we so callous, so casual about things that are so important? Life-changing, literally. Right? Second touch. Right? We could be so absolutely blinded, like Jesus pronounced over the last church in the book of Revelation. We have no need for nothing. We have everything. Then a letter comes from Apostle John from the island of Patmos. Imagine, imagine the heart of the pastor of Laodicea. He says, church, we have a letter from the only apostle surviving. We got a letter. Oh, by the way, there is something about us in the letter. I'm sure it is commendation. And then he reads. His voice is very low. He doesn't know what to say. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What a commendation. And they thought they had everything. And God is telling, you have nothing. You are at the very close end of being spat out of my mouth. And he's selling Laodicea. I spit you out. It is not going to heal anybody. At least I spat on this guy's eyes. And his vision was coming back. I spit Laodicea out. Nothing is going to happen to anybody in the world. Their blindness will only increase. Because the blind cannot lead the blind. Both of them will go into a ditch Laodicea. I'm not spitting you into somebody's face. I'm spitting you out of my face. That's what he's telling. And that's what God is telling us. Are we serious? Are we serious? Otherwise, we will not really see. We will not see. Right? Let's go further. We need a second touch. So there are fundamental lessons Jesus wants to lead us. 
He wants to separate us from the crowd. He wants to speak to us. He spoke to him. Okay? And then, Jesus is willing to lay hands upon us over and over again. But we need to be very, very honest. We have to tell God, my vision is distorted. We have to tell God, okay? Don't lie to your doctor. You may end up with a new disease. Which the medicines he prescribed according to your symptoms, which you said, he created a new disease which you did not have. Don't lie to your doctor. Don't lie to your lawyer. You may end up in prison. Don't lie to God. If you can't see, just be honest. Lord, I can't see. When you open your Bible, if you are struggling, tell God, Lord, I don't see anything. I am bored. I don't understand anything. Would you please help me? And God loves people like that. God loves people like that. Don't pretend to be a scholar before God or in the church. Notebooks and notes are all good. But be honest before God. Like David was. Oh, I love Psalm 31. How many people I have ministered using Psalm 131? The smallest Psalm in the Bible, if I'm right. That's why I think it's only three verses. My heart is not proud. Who is this the king? Oh Lord, my eyes are not haughty. Meaning, I don't see so many things. <laughs> I, am, I am partially blind. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful. I don't understand everything. This is not Solomon. This is Solomon's father. Solomon is searching everywhere, searching, searching, wisdom, knowledge, wealth, pleasure. This man says, I understand nothing. But I have still unquieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Though I am faced with problems and trouble everywhere and I don't understand either the cause or the effect or the end of it, you know what I know? I just trust him. I just trust him. Like a baby goes to sleep in his mother's arms every day, I know you rock me to sleep. And God loved this man. You know what? He was absolutely honest before God. God likes people who are honest, who do not have much understanding. It is okay if you don't have understanding, just be honest. He looked at one look at Nathaniel and said, you know what? That man has no guile. He doesn't understand scripture. Because he said nothing good will come out of Nazareth. The best has come out of it. He doesn't understand scripture. But it's good. He has no guile in his heart. Be honest. Honest. If you don't see, say I don't see. If you don't understand, say I don't understand. Lord, go to God like a child. I don't understand. I need help. Because Jesus is willing to help us over and over and over again. There are no restrictions. I said that about, that's what faith does. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who, anyone who comes, faith goes to God. Faith goes to God. Faith is never isolated from God or insulated from God. Faith always goes to God. And the invitation is this. What is that? Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace. It's an invitation. Don't be afraid. I am your dad. I know already all the goof-ups you have done. I know your weakness. I know your pride. I know your haughtiness. I know your misunderstanding, your understanding. I know it all. Just come to me. We have access not only to the power of God by grace, we have access by faith. We have access to the person of God by faith. But be honest. 
when you go to God. Like we say in English, don't put on airs. When you go before God, humble, honest, Lord, I don't understand. I was telling yesterday morning, I was struggling with the word. <laughs> and then finally, he gave it to me. This morning too, struggling all over. I said, Lord, nothing is falling into place. What is happening? Nothing is falling into place. You know what my struggle was with? All that I told you, I did not struggle. It was falling into place. I was struggling with spittle. How do I explain to your people and to myself, why did you spit on somebody's face? You are not going to spit on somebody's face unless there is some purpose. Because there are only three times you spat. First time you spat on your fingers and put it in the ears of a deaf guy. Second time you spat on the earth, took and put it on his eye. This time you spat on his face. And that is not kosher. Would you please tell me what this is all about? But before we go there, in verse 26, he gives him a dire warning to a blind man. What is it? He sent him away to his house saying, don't go into that house. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't go back into that town. Don't go back into the world. Remember what he told the man at the pool at Bethsheda? Do not sin again. Something worse will happen. Don't go back. Bartimaeus was smart. He was blind. He got his sight back. And the Bible says he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. He did not go back to Jericho. He did not have to be told. Don't go back into that cursed city. Over which thousands of years ago my servant Joshua pronounced. With your firstborn you shall lay the foundation. And with your lastborn you shall lay the capstone. Don't go back into that cursed city. He didn't have to be told. He went. This man had no faith at all when he came. So he had to be instructed. Don't go back. Don't tell anyone. Listen carefully. Sometimes God will tell you, some people don't tell anything about me. Don't tell anything about me. Because they are scoffers. The last days shall come. Scoffers and mockers. Don't waste my word before them. Walk away. Walk away. They are pigs. Don't throw jewels before them. Walk away. Right? So there is he. Seeing. Dire warning and seeing. Now let's go back to Mark 8. And let us see what Christ is trying to do over there. Verses 27 to 30. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea, Philippi. On the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and the others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Ah, now you started seeing. Now you're getting your vision. Now you know who I am, right? Do you see what is happening? Earlier they did not see. Then there is a miracle in the bit, bit, in the middle of somebody who had to be healed progressively. Now he asks him the question. Now that you have seen all the theory and practical, let me ask you this question. Who am I? Oh, people say this. What is that? <coughs> Elijah, distorted vision. John the Baptist, distorted vision. Who do you say I am? The Messiah. Your vision is normal. 
you're starting to see. Not fully, but starting to see. Right? So the blind man had three stages in his life. First he had no sight. Then he had partial sight. Then he had full sight. Where are we? Blind, partial, not full. Not even me full. Okay. As you pastor, I am confessing. Not even full yet. One day hope to. What about the disciples? Verse 21. Disciples, verse 21. How is that you do not understand? No sight. Verse 29. You are the Christ. Partial sight. Mark 16, verse 14. After resurrection. He appeared to the eleven as he sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had still partial only. Post-resurrection. And Luke 24, 45. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then they understood. Ah, Genesis mein Yeshu hai. Prasthan mein Yeshu hai. Vivastha mein Yeshu hai. Are ye Yeshu ki baare mein hai. I was looking for solutions and I didn't realize Genesis to Revelation, it is about him. Every page I look, I see him. Now he opened their eyes. Do you see Jesus when you turn the pages of the Bible? Do you see him? What do you see? Your problems and solution? Then you are a mathematician. Problem, solution. How many steps? Problem, how many steps, solution? Steps has to be right. Otherwise, Pastor Vijay will cut you. You do you see Jesus? You are not even seeing the problem. All you are seeing is a solution. In him, the fullness of God dwelleth. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I am seated in the high places with Christ Jesus. In the highest. From there when I look, you know what? My problems are grasshoppers. Because my king is a giant. How do you see? How do you see? How do you see? In so many of our churches which are under attack, many of them, it's not the pastors, the ministry is run by women. And they get, I don't even want to talk what they go through. But to every one of them I will write, you know what? Proud of you, my daughter, you are a trooper. And you need to see their reply with all the hearts coming, they feel so good. The pastor from Hyderabad said, you are a trooper, I'm proud of you. In the midst of this, you are standing there and handling it beaten, bruised, raped and still putting the thing together and taking care of the survivors. You are troopers. You didn't see your problem. You saw the Christ who empowers you to take you through anything. And what do we have? What do we have that causes us? What do we have that causes us to get depressed? Do we see Christ? Do we see Him? Has He opened our eyes that we are able to see Him? Not only in every page of the Bible, but in every page of our life. Isn't that what David said? My days are numbered and everything of my life is already written. This is too wonderful for me. Did you see that? Do you see? Do we see? In the middle of it all, you see he's there. Now we will, before we go to communion, we shall look at the spit. Why did he spit on somebody's face? 
three times. Mark 7, 32, 33. Then they brought him to one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. They begged him to put his hand on him. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and he touched his tongue. Boys are used to it because that's what they do when they play cricket. That is what all cricketers do. And then finally when they retire, they will auction it. Saura Ganguly's ball for $5,000, all full of his spit. And people will go stand in line to buy it. So spit matters. It depends upon whose spit it is. He spit and touched his tongue. Okay? And he took him aside from his multitudes, put his fingers in his ears, he spat and touched his tongue. Next one. That is John 9, verse 6, man born blind. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Okay. We'll leave this to a side. That's not the issue. Even if you spit on the ground, put mud on my eyes, I'm still okay. I don't want you to spit on my face. 8.23 So he took the blind man by hand, led him out of the town, when he had spit on his eyes. Come here. Poor man must be wondering, what is happening here? And Jesus, God and man, I'm sure he collected a lot of spittle, <laughs> aimed it correctly. When, <laughs> when I read this, I was reminded of Tom, Tom Sawyer. You should read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. These are classics. Tom Sawyer is a crook. He's a young boy. He's a crook. One day he wakes up and tells his aunt, he has no mother, aunt, aunt, uh, because he hates school. Monday is the day he hates because school begins. I cannot go to school. He's groaning. I am dying. His cousin runs and tells his aunt, Tom Sawyer is dying. And he comes and he says, what happened? Ah, ah, what happened? No. My sore toe is mortified. Mortified? What happens? Then he says, no, one tooth is shaky. And she says, no problem. She ties his tooth to a string, ties the string to the end of a door um, bedpost. Then she goes to the kitchen, brings the tongue full of fire, puts it near his face. He pulls back and the tooth is hanging over there. He says, now you can go to school. Now he's smart. He suddenly realizes he has a gap here. And he realizes there's a new girl in school. Becky Thatcher, I can still remember her name, Becky Thatcher, the judge's daughter. And he realizes, and he realizes, you know what? I can make use of this gap. I can do what others cannot do. I can spit in a new way through that gap. <laughs> so the, when I read this, Tom Sawyer came into my mind. Boy, that guy could spit and hit anything. And Jesus must have collected and spat right into his eye, left eye. Wait a second, right eye next. <laughs> Spat into his eyes. That's why. Lord, why did you spit into his eyes? Let us look at what the Bible says about spit before we do a study. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 9. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders. Remove his sandal from his foot. Spit in his face. And answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. 
So it is an insult. It is a terrible insult according to the law. Spit on somebody's face. Numbers 12, verse 14. This is about Miriam the Great. I didn't give you Numbers 12, 14. The Lord replied to her, Moses, if her father had spit on her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Think about it. The everlasting father spat on his face. If her father had spat on her face, wouldn't she be in disgrace for seven days? Lord, this is what is written in your word. And you spat on his face? Job 17, verse 6. The most righteous man in his generation. God has made me a byword to everyone. A man in whose face people spit. Job 30 and verse 10. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. So we understood what spitting in the face is. It's insult. It is humiliation. It is adding insult upon injury. First you are blind. On top of that you are spitting on a blind man. Lord, what are you doing? Mark 8, 31 to 33. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but for the things of men. Look at a parallel portion in, uh, which, what did I give you? It's Matthew, Matthew, yeah. I think I missed, I missed one. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you now. Just give me a, a second. No, no. I need, I, I, before we come to that Matthew part, I need one. It is Mark 10. Okay? Mark 10 and verse 34 and 35. Who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know what's happening here? He's talking about his humiliation. They will beat me. They will flog me. They will spit on me. And what is Peter saying when he hears about a pimlim? No, Lord, that should not be. We don't want to partake in your humiliation. He said, get behind me, Satan. When he talks about his simulation, it just passes over their head and two of them are not even bothered about it. They say, Lord, when your kingdom comes, can we sit on the right and the left? We want to partake of everything of Jesus Christ except his humiliation. That's why he spat on his face to teach them a lesson. This is not for the blind man. This is for the disciples. This is for the disciples. It's not for the blind man. It's for the disciples. Go back to chapter 8. 
back to chapter 8. And read verse 34, 31. Suffer, yeah, 34 to 35. After that. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Are you getting the narrative? How it's flowing? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Yes. What good is for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the royal angels. Do you get it? We like God's glory. We like God's power. We God's love, God's good works and mighty works. One thing we all back away from is from the humiliation of Christ. Walk away from that. We are ashamed of that part. Ashamed of that part. Isaiah 50 and verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Shame and spitting. You know what the disciples he was teaching them? He says, unless you go through the cross, you will never see. You will never see. There is an experience of God on this side of the cross. There is an experience of God which only the cross can reveal. The cross is the humiliation of Christ Jesus. And from that, we all draw back. We all draw back. Matthew 26, 67. And then 27, 30. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of his hands. Who are these? This is a Jewish crowd. In the high priest's house. These are the Jewish crowd. The soldiers. The temple guards. And the people who are in the high priest's house. What are they doing? Hitting Jesus and spitting on his face. 27. After that, the next day. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Who is this? The Roman crowd. So Jesus was spit upon, but both by the Jews and the Gentiles. He was humiliated by his own people and the people who were not his. Both them and us, we spat on him. We shirk from this one thing. Hebrews 13, verses 13 to 14. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Let's go outside. What happened outside? They spat on him. They beat him up. Let's go outside. Why? That is the reproach of Christ. Reproach. You know why the problems are in individual lives, homes, offices, everywhere? Because we don't take the reproach. The reproach of Christ. Husbands and wives, what is the whole issue? All issues. I'm not going to humble myself before her. No way. I'm the head, she's the tail. I am not going to listen to what he says. Nobody is willing to take the reproach. 
And the disciples were neither willing to take the reproach. They wanted the glory on your right side, on your left side. He said, what about the cross? He said, no. Children don't want to take the reproach. Everybody's struggle is that. We want to hear about the great works of faith, the mighty works of faith, which is true. And God says, after that, you want to know me? Like I said yesterday, he said, dine and go or abide with me? Tinaspo or abide with me? For most people, Christ is a restaurant. Eat and go. It's not a home. And he's looking for a home. He's looking for a home. That's what we looked yesterday. Some place, somebody where I can find rest. That's the Shunammite widow. She had no need. And one need, she had given up hopes about it. But she saw a need outside. A prophet, a man of God seems to be going up and down, up and down. One day she said, come and have some meal. He came. And she said, please come. Whenever you go this way, come. And he said, okay, at least I have a place to rest my legs and eat a meal. So regularly he started going that way. Probably he changed his route also because one house welcomes him. Like Jesus would probably go through Bethany anywhere he wants to go because he knows one house, I will have a place to put my head and food to eat. Then she tells her husband, you know what? That's a holy man of God. Let us make an upper room on top of our house. Let us make a room for him. So that whenever he turns hither, he can rest. Let us put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. As soon as they've done it, the Bible says, he turned that way and he stayed the night. And he lay in his bed, resting. Then he said, Gehazi, yes Lord, call her. What can I do for you? Shall I speak to the king? You know the king. Shall I speak to the commander of the army? It's well with my soul. It is good. I am, I am fine. Sometimes when we wash the feet of saints, we make connections with the people who has the ear of the king. But we don't do that. We don't create a space in our lives where God can rest. And we say, Lord, why am I so restless? He says, because you are restless, because you have no space for me. You don't want to take my reproach. You don't want to bear my shame. You are ashamed of me. I always used to tell. I said the Hindu is not ashamed of his God. The Muslim is not ashamed of his God. The Christian is. You go to any Indian office. His God is there. He comes in. Takes his kerchief. Wipes this thing. Brings a few flowers also. Put it over there. Then he sits in his table. And he works. He's not ashamed. Does his God speak to him? No. Has done anything for him? No. But he's not ashamed. You look at Muslims, I've seen everywhere where I travel. In the trains, you have to see them. In the train, namaz time, get down on the, this thing. Not ashamed. On the street, on the train, on the platform, anywhere. Christians, hiding. 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 No testimony, no witness, nothing. Why are you ashamed? He was not ashamed. He was insulted for your and my sake. Spat upon for our sake. That's what God is talking about. And that's why we don't see. We don't see. If only we could see, we would suddenly see life in a different light altogether. Oh Lord, I didn't realize life was so easy. The difficulties are nothing compared to the glory of your face. Ask any mother sitting here. 
Oh, the labor pain was terrible. It was terrible. You cursed your husband out that night. That day is the day you used all your choice Telugu words to describe your husband. But later, when the nurse came and gave the baby into your hand, oh, when you saw that face, everything disappeared. Is the pain there? Yes. Is your mind on the pain? No. Have you seen his face? Have you seen the face? Have you seen the face? Yes, Isaiah 53 describes that face. But to the one who has seen him, it is the most beautiful face on earth. Go to Isaiah 53 and describe. Look at what it says about that face. Oh, what a face it is. Got it? There? Yeah. Words 2 and 3. He grew before him. Like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, especially on the cross. Marred beyond recognition. Spat upon, beaten completely. And then he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But when we have understood, he went through all that for me. You look at that face. That face becomes the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. You know why his face was like that? Just for me. I'm not saying even for us. Just for me. Just for me. The most glorious face in the universe became like that for my sake. Then you see the beauty of that face. Beauty does not does not lie in the eye of the beholder. It lies in your spirit. The world has marred the concept about beauty. It is all about outside. That is not beautiful. What is beautiful is inside. What was inside was reflected on him. He loved us so much, he allowed his face to be disfigured, beaten up, torn, beard all plugged, blood oozing, spat upon. And everybody turned their face away. But we turn our face to him. And when we look at his face, we see life. The humiliation of Christ Jesus from which we shirk away from that. We shirk away from that. God says, don't turn away. Don't away. So Jesus still asked that question. What is that question? Do you see anything? Today, look with different eyes on his face. Do you see anything? Do you see anything? Before we go to communion, one more verse. Acts chapter 8, verse 32 and 33. Here is the Ethiopian eunuch going, reading scripture. And there is Philip running because the spirit said run. Because if you don't run, you will miss the verse. And this is the verse. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before a shearer is silent. So he opened his mouth. Not his mouth. In his humiliation. His justice was taken away. In his humiliation. His justice was taken away. You know why? So that we could be justified. In his humiliation lay my justification. In his humiliation. Lay my justification. Are you ashamed of Christ? You don't have to give an answer. Because God knows the answer. It's before him and you. 
Are you ashamed of Christ? Are you ashamed to declare I am a child of God? Simple. I'm a child of God. He died for me. And if I have to die for him, I'll die for him. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm cool with it. It's nothing. I'm not ashamed of it. This reproach is fine. To be reproached for his name's sake is fine. To be abused for his name's sake is fine. To be beaten for his name's sake is fine. To be killed for his name's sake is fine. And those people have seen his face and they will always overcome. For they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives even unto death. They were not ashamed of him. They were not ashamed of him. Before we go to communion, let me give you a testimony. This happened many, 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 probably a couple of hundred years ago in China. The insurgents had attacked a mission compound. Those were the days when the missionaries were there. It's a mission compound. And there were 100 Bible college students there. Every exit was closed. Only one exit was open. It was surrounded by armed insurgents, a mission camp. There were 100 students. They opened one gate and left a cross, put a wooden cross and told them, everybody who wants to live can walk over the cross and walk away to freedom. First one came out, trembling, shivering, walked over the cross and walked away to life. They didn't do anything. Second one walked over the cross. Third one walked over the cross. Fourth one walked over the cross. Fifth one walked over the cross. Sixth one walked over the cross. Seventh one walked over the cross. The eighth one was a young Korean girl. She came trembling, walked outside this thing. And because she stood up, all the other 91 had strength. And they killed all the 92 but they refused to walk on the cross. Young people. We will never go their way. We don't even have to worry. We will not reach there. Maybe, maybe not. Are we even ashamed to speak about him? We don't have to go there. Speak about him. To somebody proud about him. My God. My God. We boast about everything. My spouse, my child, my car, my job. What about my God? My God. Are we ashamed? Because in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? I want to revert that sentence. Will be there a generation who will declare him? Will there be a generation who will declare him, who will say, Lord, I am not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed of you. I don't care what the world says, what the world, world does. I am not ashamed of you. I will declare you. I will declare, I'm not ashamed. I'm proud of you. There is no one like you. Those are the ones about whom, about him, they wrote songs. The fairest of 10,000 to my soul. My soul. Are we ashamed? But this is the table. It's a table for him, for us of life, of healing, strength. Awakening. But for him, it was a table of humiliation. He said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? His. What happened before the death? You want to die like him? Would you want anybody to die like him? That's the table. The table of humiliation. And he says, come, partake of it. Your eyes will open. Eyes will open. Come, elders, come. We looked at it many times before. Every time, the Bible in chronological order, every time, in all four Gospels, and in the 
Acts of the Apostles, or sorry, in the book of Corinthians, every time there was a breaking of bread, the Bible is clear. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. The Bible makes it very clear. It was when it was broken, eyes were opened. The breaking is of a humiliation. See, humble and humiliation are twins. We don't humble ourselves because there is humiliation in humbling. Let's be honest. That's why you don't humble. There's great glory in pride. Glory in pride. Humiliation in humbling. And even spouses. Spouses are like mouses outside. And like lions at home. Man or woman? Woman, ask her, half the bosses are men. Yes sir, yes sir, three bags full. Once she comes home, I'm not doing it. What happened to you? Men? It's like the man. I just lose it with my wife. But how come you didn't lose in the police station? Yes sir. Won't even lift his head. Yes sir. Yes sir, you're correct sir. You know why? The issue here. Issue here. The issue is that we don't want to share in his humiliation. Are you okay? You said so. There was one man ever in human history who could say, I am a king. Was he? Are you okay? You said so. Peter, put away the thought. If I want, my father would send 12 legions of angels. One angel is enough, but he will send 12. Put it away. Who have you come for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Yeah, take me. Leave them alone. Take me. For what? For humiliation. Humiliation. No pride. That's what the Bible says. He humbled, 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 humbled. And then one, one line is there. Made himself of no reputation. How do you become without reputation when somebody spits on your face? That's what the old law was talking about. Let him spit on his face. If your father spat on you, seven days you have to stand outside, right? Why? It is humiliation. This spit can be wiped away in one minute. But the humiliation doesn't go. That's why I said, let us stand outside the camp for seven days. Because it's not the spit. It is the act. What does the act mean? You are being insulted, humiliated. Jesus says, are you proud of me or are you ashamed of me? Proud of me or ashamed of me? Do you acknowledge me or you deny me? He says, even if you're unfaithful, I am still faithful. But if you deny me, I will deny you. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of me. Because the entire cross, the hours he hung over there, he was telling the whole world, his own children, his own creation, I'm not ashamed of you. I am not ashamed of you. Everybody's insults has fallen upon me. I am not ashamed of you. For that, I am stripped, spat upon, mocked, hung there. Don't be ashamed of him. Because he was not ashamed of us. Even now he is not ashamed of us. Though we all live our lives stripped naked before him. All our sins are known. 
All our thoughts are known. All our actions are known. Because the Bible says nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Everything is bare. And yet what does he do? Forever makes intercession for us. Because he is not ashamed of us. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, he was not ashamed to be called, call us his brothers. The devil comes and says, do you know what he did? He says, yeah, that's my brother. Do you know what she did? That's my child. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Shall we come to the table? Oh, let's ask elders to come and the worship team to come. Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My riches gain, I partake of it together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. For us, this table... It's a table of power, of strength, of healing, of love. Everything of yours flows at this table. And we remember you at this table. But for you, it was an hour of humiliation and of insult. Literally everybody who have passed by insulted you. They mocked you, they scoffed you. Your face was not only marred with bruises, but also by the spit of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Just for our sake. 
We just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. I pray, Father, as we partake of it, we will remember your incredible love for us. And we will stand unashamed of you in the public square. Wherever you send us, wherever we go, we will not be afraid of Christ, to witness Christ, to talk about Christ, to glorify Christ, to give thanks to Christ, to magnify Christ. And that was on which the church was built, that in all things, Christ Jesus should have three eminence in our lives. Pray, Father, it will become true. One day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 As we come to the end, I want to read two scriptures. Galatians 6, verse 14. And then verse 17. One man. Why was the revelation given to him, though he came so much after the other apostles? Why is much of scripture written through him? Why is the revelation of God exposed through this man? Because you know what? He understood. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What is he saying? He says, I don't care what the world says about me. I am proud of Jesus. I'll never be ashamed. I'm humiliated. I'm beaten up. Whatever they do to me, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. You know why? Because he says, you know what? I know what my Savior did for me. And look at verse 17. What he does, he tells the church. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What marks do we bear? What marks do we bear in our body? Here is a one man standing up and says, you know what? My body is bear the marks of Jesus Christ. Everything that I went through, I went through for his name's sake. And I did not draw back. I did not draw back. I was willing. Though he had privilege which the other apostles did not have. None of the others had his privilege. You know what? He was a Roman citizen by birth. The others couldn't say, can you flog a Roman citizen? They couldn't say. He could. And magistrates got frightened. But do you know when he said it? After he got flogged. Not before. Because he had the spirit of God speaking to him. Not now. Yes, Lord. He was willing and obedient servant. He delivers a girl of a demonic spirit. And they strip him naked like Jesus. They flog him and Silas and he keeps quiet. Doesn't say anything. Goes in and they worship the Lord. The chains of the captives come off. The jailer and his family gets baptized. The next day when the officials come, he says, you're opening the gates and setting us off? You're not going. Tell them to go and say, is it right to flog a Roman citizen? And they got scared. They were frightened. Flog a Roman citizen? He never flaunted his Roman citizenship. He flaunted the marks of Jesus Christ on his body because he said, I am not ashamed. What do we flaunt? Our degrees, our wealth, our positions, our resume, our skin color, our height, our job profile. What are we flaunting? He says, you know what I flaunt? I flaunt Christ. The marks I bear, marks I bear on my body 
are the marks of Jesus Christ. That's what he says, if I boast of anything, I will boast of not the cross I carry. Be very careful. That's not what he said. I will boast of the cross of Jesus Christ. Or he was humiliated for me. I will never be ashamed of him ever in my life. Then we will see what life is. What eternity is. And then our ears will hear and eyes will see. Because the Spirit of God is able to say what God has prepared for those who love him. Then suddenly, earth will look like a boring place. Life on earth looks very boring. And from your heart, you will also cry like the saints of the old. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. This life is too boring. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You will be not fearful of COVID. You will say, for me to die or love is gain. If you want me to work here, death, COVID cannot kill me. But if that is the way to go home, hallelujah Lord. You look at life completely differently. You will start valuing things that needs to be valued. Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. The seventh day of this third month, help us to look at life differently. Unless our eyes are opened, we will not behold the beauty of our Savior. He is the lily of the valley. He didn't look like that on the cross. Only the heart can see that. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul, not to my eyes, to my soul. Therefore, open the eyes of our heart, our soul, O Lord, that we may behold the beauty of our Redeemer. That everything in this world will pale to nothing in the brightness and the beauty of His countenance. Help us to see. Then our pain, our suffering, our persecution, our beating, our mocking, our insult, whatever your children go through around the world, will all fade away. Will fade away. One look at your face. Your love towards us. When Thomas saw your nail-pierced hands, and your riven side. He went on his knees and said, My Lord, my God, my Savior. That's when he saw beauty of his Lord. We see this by faith. There is no one like him. It's not a song. It's a statement. There is no one like him. And there will be never another like him. Paul said to my sorrow with tears, I'm saying, so many are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. The God is the stomach, the adulation from the world, the reputation in the world. They don't want to be led by him outside from the camp. The saints say, let us go outside the city. For there is no lasting place for us here. Let us go outside the camp with him and bear his reproach. Today let's make that decision. Lord, I'm proud of you. I'll not be ashamed of you.
every opportunity you give me i will declare you i want to be your witness make me a true witness of christ jesus i want the power of the holy spirit not just to overcome my problems but to be a true witness that's what you said when the holy spirit comes you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses witnesses are not ashamed they give a true witness of who the lord is let that be our dedication today thank you father thank you and commit the church here i commit the church around the world that is listening and all our churches all our pastors everyone commit them into thy hands i pray lord you will stretch forth your wings as you wished over jerusalem stretch forth your wings over the churches lord and the ministries associated with us let everyone find a safe dwelling place under your wings for your word says the son of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings under that wings there is not only safety security but there is also healing we will be made whole in his presence thank you thank you father as we go into a new week the rest of the month i pray lord that you would bless them and you would keep every one of them lord that all of us would go out unashamed to declare the greatness the goodness of our savior thank you thank you lord now in god's house we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name and we declare thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever ever for in jesus name we pray amen the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen and amen god bless you and have good fellowship and don't be ashamed of jesus